Hello, Annie Trenders. Welcome to the Girl Taku, hosted by the ladies of Anime Trending. We are back with another fun topic on the table. My name is Gracie, and I am joined by. Hello, I am Isabel, and this is Agnes. So, without further ado, the Girl Taku today will be about scenes that absolutely infuriate us. So, we're talking specifically on if there's been ever a situation where you are just watching an anime. And something occurs in the story that just comes out of left field that really, really, really makes you angry. It could be the way an arc uh, resolved. It could be a new character that just like drives you up the wall and just infuriates you every time you see them on screen. And then when they're gone, you're happily enjoying the anime for what it is all over again. But yeah, we're talking about things in anime particular that have infuriated us, but only those particular things and usually relegated to scenes when that happened. So with that being said, I'm the one who is starting off the episode this week and I have two that I really, really, really want to share with you two because I never get over ranting about them. So I hope you guys are prepared in this regard. Oh, okay. <laughs> Give it to us. All right. So the first one I have comes from Police and Pod. Have you two heard of that anime at all? Uh, no, I have not. Have you, Agnes? Can you repeat the name? I think I missed it. For Police and Pod. I think Nico watched it because I edited his antibites for it, but I don't know that show. Okay, great. So I'm going to give you guys a quick description first. So the I typically wouldn't be really interested in this show in the first place, but the reason why I decided to watch the anime is actually this is based on an award-winning manga. The manga has won quite a bit of accolades for the story, and it is a story of two girls in particular who work in the police force. There's two other guys who are sort of like secondary main characters. They're pretty important, but I feel like they're a little more important than supporting characters, but not quite like actual like main protagonists. But those are the four biggest characters, two guys and two girls, and they work in the police. And it's sort of like a slice of life day to day activity on what it's like to work there. In particular, the main character, the actual main character of the anime in Police and Pod, she doesn't actually like working as a police at all. She ended up taking the work because of some childhood trauma that was actually kind of funny in that case. But she but she ended up having to commit to it because once she's decided to go on that route, she couldn't really back off easily and find another uh, career route, per se. So... That is sort of what the anime is about. It's episodic, so there's not like an overarching arc, and there should have been a lot of comedy. Now, you might have known I said should have, and the reason why is unfortunately there was actually, I didn't find a lot of the things in the anime funny, and for a lot of, a lot of the part of watching the anime, I almost did feel like there was a bit of a cultural gap between me and fully enjoying and understanding the anime, unfortunately. I guess that there was a lot of like internal jokes, maybe cultural jokes that just flew over my head. As someone who is neither Japanese or American, nor definitely not native Japanese at all. So I didn't end up really enjoying the anime for what it is, but I also wasn't expecting for two particular scenes in this anime to really, really get me angry. Unfortunately, I do think it's indicative of 
the Japanese culture that we slightly touched upon before on other episodes in various ways, but I think it came out in a more direct force this time. So the first scene in the anime that just rubbed me all the wrong way was in one of the more quote-unquote comedic moments. It's when the police had to, when the characters had to go on late-night patrol and specifically take late-night calls uh, to 911. And some of them tend to be kind of ridiculous calls because people are drunk and they're drunk dialing and stuff like that. But one of them in particular was like dialing in over and over again, like swearing to kill himself. But whenever they go and check in on him, he is, you know, just really drunk and making suicide jokes but doesn't look like he's about to commit suicide anytime soon so they always end up leaving but then the final call came from him again and so they are exasperated and they go and they check on him again but this time his apartment is completely dark and he locked the door they there was just no way to go in compared to the prior times when he had called drunkenly um they just went right in because he didn't even bother locking the door And so that's when we realize things might be a little more serious than usual. And one of the police officers, you know, breaks down the window and goes in from there. And they call the ambulance because he did, unfortunately, uh, try to commit suicide. However, it's the resolution scene that occurred afterwards that just really made me angry because it was like there there was this relief like, oh, you know, they were able to save a life and they did the right thing instead of ignoring him for like another drunken episode. They took it seriously and stuff like that. But one officer in particular is like, yeah, now that he's experienced what it's like and is now in the hospital, like I hope this teaches him to like calm down and take things more seriously and I was like hold up <laughs> like that, mm. that I just that's a little bit sus yeah and I just thought that was so what's the right word even like cruel is that the right word I don't think cruel is the right word maybe ignorant is what I'm looking for um but I just really didn't like how they thought like the writing was just like oh you know now that he's actually experienced what it's like almost dying of his own choice he'll know not to do it anymore it's like no shouldn't you guys be talking about getting him a therapist taking him to the hospital to you know find a psychologist like maybe dig a little further as to why he's always drunkenly calling at night oh threatening to kill himself like there's so much more going on they just sort of did a haha you know like glad that this is over with and you know this won't happen anymore and i'm just like that is so irresponsible and it made me so so angry but Unfortunately, based on what we know of Japanese culture, as well as their overall sort of, I don't know, like tendency to turn away from the idea of mental health and like, um, you know, therapy and stuff like that. It it also doesn't surprise me that that could have been a hundred percent realistic depiction of how the police officers would have reacted if they saved someone from committing suicide. So that was one scene in the show that that really got me angry. The second one also has to do with some critiques that we've ha- uh, we've talked about and discussed of happening in Japan. But one of the episodes that was a little more serious dealt with the fact that a high school girl got sexually uh, harassed and unfortunately groped on the public train. And so she is reporting it and her mom is there to help her. And 
the police officers are taking it seriously and stuff like that. But one scene in particular, well, one of the police officers, he lacks tact is the thing. So he takes his job very seriously and he always completes his job. But he doesn't really know how to go about more sensitive topics with a delicate touch. And so he's looking at a list of questions that he has to answer. He has to ask and get answers from. And he legit straight up was just like, oh, what type of underwear were you wearing? And yeah. <laughs> I heard that reaction. Yeah, so you can understand. Oh god. Uh-huh. Uh... And when I saw that scene, I was like, forget tact. Why does he even need to know this? Like why is that in any shape or form relevant information for the police to have? What? Because she's wearing like quote unquote sexier underwear, suddenly the groping wasn't as bad? Is that what they're trying to say? Like, like why in any shape or form is that information ever relevant to the actual situation? And it pissed me off so, so badly. And unfortunately, it was another case of, you know what? I bet that this is not even unrealistic in regards to its depiction. And so it was just all around a really complicated and infuriating thing. And I couldn't stop watching because because in a way it was eye-opening, you know, because I was clearly seeing things from a cultural side that I would never have seen before if I didn't watch this anime, but it could not help but piss me off so badly. So that is the first one I wanted to mention. Like, I mean, like, how did you guys feel when I told you about these scenes? Were you expecting that at all? (laughs) I wasn't expecting it, but the fact that it is coming from an award-winning manga or series i can see why it's included for like the exposure but as a show that seemed like it was advertised for comedy that is rather jarring to be part of in the series yeah exactly and it was just i and like that's why i say like the part where he was like oh what kind of underwear were you wearing and like that was meant to be a comedic moment of this character not knowing tact and i'm just like forget yeah i don't know if like the the comedy in the in the show is actually not translated properly like maybe in the original manga adaptation which is why it was award-winning was that it was a matter that they took very seriously mm. and maybe it was like part of the list of comments that they were supposed to read and maybe the character was he actually read it and then he was like taken aside by his superior and he's like you do realize like there is like repercussions for reading that part too and it would be like a debate sort of thing but maybe for the anime's purposes because you know anime is supposed to be quote-unquote lighthearted. the devs don't the producers don't want to touch that kind of stuff they instead decide to make it comedic just to lighten the mood but even then that's pretty tactless it's very distasteful yeah exactly Ugh. anyway so isabel did you want to say something i don't know <laughs> No, yeah, it just sounds so like the character, the way that, you know, that line and uh, also the other scene just seems like some of the things are very dismissive and then just insensitive to like what's going on. So I don't know. I don't know what it looks like, you know, in person, but just hearing about it, that would also probably make me mad. <laughs> Ugh, yeah, exactly. So anyway, what I can say is Police and Pod was definitely an experience without question, but definitely not a pleasant one at the end of the day. <laughs> So moving on to my second one, my second one is from Higehiro, but it's not going to be for reasons that you guys are probably expecting as to why I picked that one. So do you guys remember Higehiro? That's my first question. Only the title. I never watched it. Okay. What about you, Isabel? 
yeah, I I only watched a little bit about it, so um, I think I stopped it for obvious reasons, or, or maybe you want to go over the obvious reasons first. Maybe. Okay. <laughs> so basically, the show is about an a full time employee, and he gets rejected by someone that he had a crush on at his work, and then when he walks home, a tipsy. He sees a teenage girl who is homeless and just literally sitting out there on the street. So because he doesn't feel good about the fact that she was just sitting there, he decides to bring her home. But because he was drunk, she totally thought that he was going to like, you know, she would get shelter in exchange for sex is essentially what it is because she is a runaway teenager and Unfortunately, this isn't an uncommon thing. Um, you know, runaway teenagers, it's, it's hard for them, to say the least. And so uh, so that's what she, and because of how she had been treated this entire time, that's what she was expecting. Uh, but surprisingly, he literally just brought her back because he just didn't think it was safe for her to be out there. But he was so drunk that he wasn't able to properly convey that to her and wasn't asking for anything in return at all. And he just went to bed. And it's and then the next day he finds out he's just like, you know, he was like, what was I thinking? Obviously, I wasn't thinking because I was drunk. But then she is just incredibly shocked that he really wants nothing from her. And so she asked if, you know, she could stay in exchange for something. And because she kept on insisting that she exchanges something for allowing him to for allowing her to stay at his place he finally said like fine like just act as my live-in maid then and like cook for me if that's what you really really want but I'm just saying it doesn't bother me at all like just let me know when you're ready for me to call your parents or buy you a ticket to go home because I don't want you to stay here permanently so that's the premise of Hika Hero. Obviously, it immediately had a lot of controversy because people are like, this is an age gap. Uh, this is an age gap romance. And age gap romances, we've talked about its problems already, actually, in an actual age gap romance episode. But I decided to check it out because I actually thought the first episode portrayed the main character pretty well and the fact that he might have been quite drunk, but he still wasn't going to stoop as low as to clearly see a very um not endangered but a very sensitive and um not in a good place teenage girl and take advantage of that fact because he pities her or, or, or whatever throughout the series he actually was took a pretty big mentor form and I actually there were elements of the series I liked a lot uh, his his senpai who he has a crush on she ended up really bonding with the teenage girl because she realized that something traumatic must have really happened for her to run away from home just like that. But then she's like, this is very dangerous for you because it's not just dangerous for you. It's dangerous for him. If he ever gets found out, they could accuse him of kidnapping. And then obviously the other things that you are lucky that it was him who found you, who knows it could have been another drunk person, what they could have done to you and stuff like that. Like you really need to go home. And so a lot of the mystery and sort of the plot was revolved around the fact, like, why isn't she going home? Why did she end up running away? And we find out the answer near the end, which is the fact that she is in a very abusive situation at home. Her family is quite rich. However, her mom and her dad are divorced. And in particular, her mom had gotten pregnant with her and purposefully wanted to keep her in hopes that having this ba new baby will save her marriage. Well, it did not. And 
that is very real to real life. There are people who have absolutely tried to use babies to save their marriages and have it go absolutely downhill. So because of that, her mom was like, you know, I wasted, you know, giving birth to this child and is very neglectful and abusive towards her. And so the only family member who really looks after her is her older brother, who is uh, who is a lot older than her on top of that. And you know, has his own life responsibilities because he's already a a working adult. And so something in school happened and it was very traumatizing. But instead of comforting her about it, the mom instead berated her for even being involved with such, quote unquote, annoying drama that causes like problems to her reputation and her work. And that finally set like the male, the main girl, the, the main character's like anger off and she ran away from home and that's why she ran away from home. So a big question is if she is going back home, how in the world is she going to reconcile with her mom when her mom was really that terrible? And even her older brother was just like, yeah, like I'm not going to try to make excuses for my mom. Like I know she's not in a good place to say the least either, but you know, she's doing stuff that is very harmful to my younger sister, men- mentally wise. And so they go back and they confront the mom. But I swear to God, the resolution was literally them, as in the ma- main character, uh, the older brother and Sayu, who's the who's the girl, the teenage girl, bowing their heads to the abusive mom on the ground, begging her to take over her mother role a little more seriously and just be a mother to Sayu until Sayu is independent and 18 years old. Oh my God. I cannot describe to you how much that resolution pissed me off so badly. Because it's like, why in the world would this story ever write the fact of the victims apologizing to the literal abuser? They don't have anything to apologize for especially Sayu, who is a teenage girl. She needs guidance more than anyone else. And she has to apologize to a woman who has not only been neglectful, but emotionally and physically abusive to her. Like, it's ridiculous. And specifically, and I do mean it when I say she's physically abusive. Like, the first thing that her mom did when they reunited was her mom slapped her across the face. And so, and... That was how they resolved this whole conflict. Then begging the mom to have it in her heart to be a better mother for a few more years until Sayu becomes 18 and she goes off on her own. The end. Oh my gosh. It just, (laughs) I hear people laughing. I'm sorry. I'm just really passionate about it. And it still makes me angry. Like, like, do you understand why it makes me angry? Am I just unreasonable here or something? (laughs) No, I understand why you're angry. I'm just more confused how did the two characters the the uh uh Hiro, right that's the main male character uh the main character i think his name is uh yoshida actually <laughs> yoshida. how yoshida and the older brother come to a consensus that they need to beg forgiveness from the mom like i don't understand I the know! logic behind that I know! because there's a lot of japanese stories about siblings who run away from home and oftentimes the older so the oldest sibling like ends up taking care of the younger siblings like that is a very plausible thing 
um, and or vice versa, or the or like Sayu trying to find like another group to hang out with or like crash at, you know. So I'm kind of a bit curious as to what made them come to the consensus to relinquish her back to her mother and kind of like wipe their hands clean of the situation. It seems a bit callous. I know. I just, I just don't understand the logic. I don't like, and I think what upset me most of all is I'm like, did the author really think that this was the right solution? Because here's the issue: is the the writer clearly had written elements in there that are genuinely nuanced and good points. For example, when Yoshida Senpai bonded with Sayu and talked about how it's really dangerous for her to run away as a teenage girl, the stuff that she said of like things that could happen to her are very, very real. And unfortunately, things that have happened to runaway teenage girls specifically. So it's not that the author is unaware of certain very hard topics but the fact that he the fact that they i don't know the gender the fact that they really thought the resolution to a girl who ran away from a physically and emotionally abusive situation is to hope for the best that the abuser would actually have it in her heart and be a good parent now is insane and i also think it's really dangerous you know because we've talked about this before but stories affect people who watch and i'm just like this is so careless on top of that like you should never expect an abusive parent to just get better without any question like people people who are like that usually need a lot of professional help and you sure as heck bet that that mom is not getting professional help for her problems so like i'm like realistically what's going to happen is that she probably will get better for like a few more months and then she'll just go right back to her abusive ways in the way that a lot of abusive people are. And so, ugh, yeah, that that's that's the part that actually pissed me off in Hero. funnily enough. Not the whole sticky situation of the grown up meeting a teenage daughter, a teenage girl, and it seems like there might be a romance between them. No, like that part ended up being really small compared to this resolution that just like. Oh my gosh, just blows my head up. It, I just I just explode in anger every single time. So, yeah. yeah. That I wonder if it's possibly like a cultural thing, like you know how um most people at least in Japan are mostly not confrontational. And so, I'm thinking that may be the reason why the author went that way for it, although although after watching the whole series you would think it would end in something confrontational, then, you know, some at least something would be resolved or the mother might have learned something, but it sounds like she didn't at all. It's just kind of like, oh, okay, sure, type of thing. Um, but yeah, that's what I was just thinking as you told us about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're right in that sense, because like even like child protection I can I cannot speak. Child protection services in Japan mm -hmm. is not known to be that great. Neither foster homes in Japan, so with no other outlet to take her somewhere safe, like legally. I guess that's the best that the author could come up with. That's my only logic to this insane scenario that I don't even okay, think Okay, but her brother is literally independent. He could take her in. Oh. Well, there's well, the then. other thing of, like, siblings want also other siblings who don't want any of that, so they just wipe their hands clean. So there are some people like that. Gosh, yeah, no, but it's like even I, I see what you're saying, Isabel, and I do agree there is probably a huge element to that in regards to the resolution, but it still doesn't change the fact that they've left her in an actual abusive parent's home and she's probably mm -hmm. not going to actually get better. That, that's that's the reality of things. So, 
yeah, definitely might probably wouldn't be safe. You know, if they've done it for years, then it'll only probably happen again. Exactly. Yeah. Ugh. Okay. So those are my two uh, scenes that absolutely infuriated me. And you can tell that I was indeed very, very infuriated. So I am now <laughs> passing the baton to you, Isabel. You know, Isabel, I haven't really seen you angry before. So I'm like very ready for this topic. Which scenes have you seen in anime that like just infuriated you when you were watching it and, you know, enjoying it or just taking it as it is? <laughs> Yeah, like listening to yours, I'm like, my scenes are a little bit like completely different. I feel like they're more like comedic in, in a <laughs> Me way. Me too. <laughs> okay, you too. Okay, well, I can't wait yeah, to Yeah, mine's a bit on the lighter side. <laughs> I, I, I'm just overly emotional, so. <laughs> no, I mean, you point out good societal topics that don't get covered a lot in anime and manga very well, and it's not as nuanced versus us, we're just kind of like, yeah, surface level's okay. <laughs> Mine is definitely very service level. <laughs> mm, okay. All right. Yeah. But yeah, that's mine. Um, my first one's actually with a uh, romantic killer. Um, just the first Oh, you episodes. actually watched it. I did watch it, but I have not continued watching it. Oh, <laughs> oh that's gosh. not good. Okay. Tell us okay. details. <laughs> Honestly, it's, I don't know. It's, I probably will end up trying to watch it just because I've seen so many reviews on it and people really like it, which I can totally see. Like it, it's, it's a funny concept. And, like, everything you think will go one way will not turn that way, or just, like, the most cheesiest things will appear. And I think that's what I have, what I'm, like, really infuriated about, kind of. It's, like, really frustrating. Um, especially the first, I only watched, what, three, three to four episodes, but, like, the first scene um, where Anzu, the girl, like, she's the one who's, she's not interested uh, in dating at all, right? But... Uh, this I don't even know what the wizard thing is I call him like Mr. Potato with a wizard hat um, so yeah but the the little wizard you know takes away her chocolate takes away her games she's like living a perfect life um, and to some extent I, I like really relate with her in some scenes so that's why it makes me mad too that I'm like this anime is calling me out on certain things <laughs> yeah so um especially just like when she when um the when they when the wizard sits sets her up with one of the guys who kind of like notices her at a bus station and then uh Anzu's like she's like so stubborn like it just makes me so mad how stubborn she is especially when um also probably just the first thing is that she was afraid of a cockroach in her home so she like ran out her parents aren't home they went on vacation of course conveniently she's alone in the house um, but yeah, she like runs out, runs to the park and it's like raining and conveniently the guy also shows up and is like holding umbrella and then she like refuses the umbrella and I'm like, girl, just take the damn umbrella and go home. <laughs> like she's just making it 10 times worse for her. And so, yeah, so then leads to something like him staying over at her place. Um, and I, like, I think all the situations like this too, too many coincidences that happen all because of the wizard <laughs> and as you can tell i don't like the wizard either but <laughs> we gotta make the situation happen so yeah and then i think what's the other thing that is just like i think it was also kind of slow in a sense because it felt like they weren't really the characters weren't really moving around too much like other than like it was like a lot of situations like all in one place at her home i think that that's what really got to me and then also just like you know, Wait, so they all take mm -hmm. place in her house? Yeah, like the first, I believe, two 
episode two, I guess the whole, probably most of episode two is what it is. It like takes place in her house kind of. That is insane. (laughs) Yeah. So like all the situations you can think of happening at the house, you know, like, oh, this boy's over at my house. Like, what do I do? You know, um, and then she does like the most stupidest things I feel like, which is, which is funny, but it's also, (laughs) it's also frustrating at the same time. Like she was, she's, she's like put with a task with like making food for the guy and like she's like i can't make it i can't make it like really good food because he'll like me so she does i forget what she does something like really bad cup noodles or something i may have gotten that wrong but yeah like just like something really bad or dressing herself up um like out of the bath like you know sometimes girls would wear like their pajamas or something but her pajamas like it's like all cats and then she like tucks her shirt into her pants and makes her look really silly. And I'm like, oh my god, I do that too. This is really bad. I'm turning into Ansu. Um, oh no. <laughs> yeah. So those are like the little things that happened in this episode that just really got to me. I'm like, I don't know if I want to continue this show or not. <laughs> but have either of you seen Romantic Killer? I want to know what you guys think if you have. No, I wasn't watching Romantic Killer when it came out. And it was on like Netflix, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah I, was... I wasn't watching stuff on Netflix at the time. I was still watching stuff from Crunchyroll, so I didn't get a chance to watch it. I was initially interested in it, but I saw the trailer and I thought the animation looked really stilted. So, and then on top of that, I didn't think any of these so-called like like romance guys that, you know, that was her ultimate game brought back brought to life in her life or brought to her life situation looked handsome enough. <laughs> <laughs> so that was my shallow reason for not watching it. <laughs> yeah, if anything, the guys will fit the trope. I think the first guy that we meet here is kind of like the like nice guy, I guess. Mm-hmm. Kind of he doesn't really say much and stuff. Like you you kind of know what to expect, like what he's gonna do. And then the situation that Anzu's put in, and then you're just like, you know, why doesn't she just do it's just funny but it's also like i've seen this before and it's really cheesy and i really don't want it to turn out this way um but yeah i can see that happening to all the other guys she meets later in the series so i don't know i'll keep you guys updated if i do end up finishing it (laughs) (laughs) so are you more angry for her or are you angry at her i think both but i'm more angry at her for not doing the obvious thing and trying just being super stubborn about I mean, it's not really falling in love if you cook a good meal. Like, what's the problem with that? Like, you know, why can't you crush the cockroach yourself? Like, hello? Uh, yeah. Isabel, just kill the cockroach. Exactly. <laughs> uh, okay, well, I mean, if it makes you feel better, Isabel, I'm usually the one who kills the cockroach in, in my place. So uh, you don't have any girls who would just run away here. Unless, Agnes, do you run away? <laughs> I, I kind of just cringe at the insect and then I try to kill it or take it outside. Oh, wow, you even try to take it outside. I definitely go for the kill. <laughs> it depends what it depends what I'm killing. Uh, we have a there's a like there's a hornet's nest that kind of oh, likes God. to uh, hang out at an apartment. Oh. And uh, one of those hornets came into our apartment and I found it like sitting at the windowsill. And I'm like, you know, I don't want to try to kill it. If I miss it, it's going to kill me. So I just trapped it in a, in a cup and I just took it outside. You should have just suffocated it. Like, leave it there to, like, suffocate and die. <laughs> I could have done that, but at the same time, I didn't cross my mind to suffocate that. I don't know. I'm not as torturous as you are, <laughs> I'm just saying, there's certain things that needs to die. So. <laughs> I'd rather have it be an instant death than a slow, painful death. It's fine. Insects don't really <laughs> feel pain anyway. <laughs> 
Yeah, but they're dangerous. I don't want that to kill me if it comes out. <laughs> that's, that's fair, actually. Uh, okay, so that is a, your first pick, Isabel. So what's your second one then in that case? <laughs> yeah, my second pick is a character in Gintama. Uh, granted, he's a side character, but I think if you watch the show, you can't forget him. And he, he does have a name, but honestly, I just call him the hard-boiled detective because that's all he literally says. <laughs> Oh time. god, I have another character that calls himself hard-boiled oh, really? detectives. No, detectives. Oh no, we don't we don't talk about Futo P.I. <laughs> we don't talk about Futo P.I. <laughs> oh my god, you have to go over that. Yeah, wait, so they're about detectives too, right? Yeah. In Futo yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, this guy is like, he, yeah, he's just like, I'm hard-boiled. And then like every arc that he, he appears in maybe like a, cu- a couple of episodes, uh, but every time it's his episode, like, I know it's, I'm in for, like, a really boring episode. Oh, wow. Yeah. I'm like, I, I can't, like, I don't want to skip because Gintoki's in the episode, but I'm like, I really don't want to watch this guy. And I feel like you have that in some shonen, like, mm-hmm. um, like, in Art of Leech, like, there's this one aqu- occurring character or reoccurring character that you don't like at yeah. all and, like, you want to skip the whole arc. <laughs> yes, I understand, yes. <laughs> But yeah, this guy's deal is like he, you know, he has the dark sunglasses. He's like wearing at nighttime, which doesn't make any sense. And he has like the whole mustache and everything. He's like built like obviously like a, I guess, um, as he would say, a detective himself. Um, but yeah, he's just like, like his lines are stupid too. Like there's, you know, the, the meaning to life or something is like get, having a good smoke after a long day or just like drinking. And I, I'm just sitting there like, why do I care about you? You know, Um and it's funny because even uh, the characters in Gintama, like Gintoki and Shinpachi, also just call him out for what the heck he's saying. Um, and then they also just like, <laughs> they also break the fourth wall at one point because he's taking so much screen time of, of him just saying like, I'm being hard boiled and like doing some whatever poetry um, that Gintoki's like, I need to kick you out because you're taking more screen time and the audience. Oh my gosh. So they're aware <laughs> that he's boring? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> A lot of stuff in Gintama is like comedy jokes that break the fourth wall and make a lot of other references to other anime serials in the Shonen Jump. So this is like pretty common Mm -hmm. of them being like, you should get off the set kind of thing. But the fact that it's a recurring character where Gintoki has to say it like every time or every character is made aware of that is pretty funny. I thought it was going to be like a one-time gag because that's what they usually do in, uh, in at least in the earlier episodes of Gintama. Yeah, that's what I thought too. I'm like, okay, I'm done with this arc, right? And I'm like, I never have to see him again. And then like, you know, 50 episodes later, hey, I'm here again, the hard-boiled detective. I'm like, oh no, (laughs) not you. Why are you here? And then he always says this, uh, Kamu? C-A-M-U-S, which is like, uh, I believe a brand of cognac. And then he just repeats that the whole time. And that becomes a joke between... Uh, the four of them as well just like all he can say is kamu all the time like why do you keep saying that and he just says it he doesn't give any explanation (laughs) i don't understand the purpose of him but yeah he he really doesn't do his job well even though he thinks that he's a detective it's more like i feel like he's like a retired detective who has like no job and just sits at the ramen stall all, all day and tries to get drinks or something wait is he old or no He's not old. I would say he's like middle aged is what he looks like. Maybe uh, that's why mm-hmm. he's so terrible. Because <laughs> you know the whole Probably. saying of like middle aged people start to feel lost about where they are in life and stuff like that. <laughs> Damn, okay, Gracie. <laughs> I 
apologize to all the uh, middle-aged people listening to the podcast. I'm not talking about you. Um, <laughs> uh, what's funny is you know how you just said like you know like what's your purpose? I was just going to ask you like is his entire purpose in the show is to be that character that everyone hates or. <laughs> Yeah, he's just like basically that useless character. Like maybe he'll be like useful at least one time. Um, I feel like in the later arcs, but like I've totally forgotten about it. Like it really doesn't matter. He's definitely just there for the comedic purpose of just I don't know, just introducing other people within Gintoki's town. Well, that's unfortunate. <laughs> and I guess how how recurring is he? I think he only appears actually maybe three times in total. Oh, uh, that's not too like bad then. Okay, okay, yeah. So it's not too bad. Yeah, no, that, yeah. that's not enough to like drive you insane or anything like that. <laughs> yeah, it definitely didn't drive me enough to like completely stop watching, but it's enough for me to be like, I need I need to shut off my brain for 20 minutes or so for this episode, I guess. I just imagine you every time you see him to be like, go away, I don't want you here. <laughs> Yeah, you can probably see like my nostrils flaring up as I'm watching like, the first, the, yeah, like the first few few minutes. I'll be like, yeah. Oh man, that's so funny. Um, and I think it's funny. So apparently, hard boiled detective is a phrase. It's not like a a thing to go with one particular character. Oh. Well, I thought okay. So the hard boiled detective I was thinking of that Agnes knows about is from Futo Pi, which is an adaptation of a manga that is a sequel to the Kamen Rider W show and so which is live action if anyone followed that train of thought but basically the main character in there he calls himself a hard-boiled detective and I thought it was just like a him thing you know so the second you said that he this character also calls himself a hard-boiled detective I'm like this must be a phrase or else like it, I, I don't think it's a common enough like Great, like words to put together, I guess, to describe oneself. Unless you guys know better. Uh, the heart. Uh, I just looked it up real quickly because I'm like, I'm pretty sure the hardboiled detective is a. Oh. Trope, you know? Um, but it's actually a literary genre from like the 20s and oh, 30s. Oh, that's fascinating. Um, it's a kind of like think of like think of like noir fiction, like black and white, really grungy. It's this hardboiled detective in the rain. It's very gloomy. You know, he just witnessed like a grisly yeah. murder. And you know, his girlfriend has been kidnapped by the kidnapper and he's out there smoking a cigarette, trying to look cool, but inside he just hurts. That's that's the hardboiled Oh, that detective. is so interesting. I didn't know. Well, I learned something new. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a it's a literary uh it's a literary genre of crime fiction, essentially. So Okay, that makes a lot more sense. Or, well, I appreciate it. Thank you, Agnes, for looking it up. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, Alrighty, then. So I, I definitely enjoyed listening to you being angry, Isabel, even if they were for, like, you know, actually, I, I actually like the fact that it's more comedic because it's more enjoyable for me to enjoy. So <laughs> <laughs> there's no guilt, in per se, if I end up thinking it was funny that you got angry. So. Alrighty then, so Agnes, it is your turn. Now, I understand this topic is a little unique for you because you're usually the type of person who the instant you see something or you hear something that doesn't really please you or you know that's not going to make you too happy, you tend to drop the anime pretty quickly, so... I just nope out of there. I, I just see the signs, like the beginning signs, and I'm like, hmm... Maybe I should drop this, and I'm like, alright! Agnes <laughs> and abandons no hard feelings. things so easily, <laughs> 
very easily. This is why I have no commitment. (laughs) (laughs) I have commitment issues. (laughs) Okay, so with that situation, though, have you ever had any where you ran into something and it ended up surprising you in the fact that it made you angry? (laughs) Yeah, I, I, and it comes in the form of adaptations, mostly for me. Because I would read the adaptation, like the manga or like the light novel and be like really impressed with what they were doing and expect that same quality to pop up in the anime. And then once they screw up something, I'm just very silent, angry, but still discarding, pretending like it doesn't affect me, but it kind of does actually (laughs) affect me in my general enjoyment of the series later on uh, for both the anime and also the original source material too. Um, So the first one that... I would like to highlight is something that I've already mentioned before. I think the last two episodes or so, the one series that made me kind of quote unquote angry and made me drop it and not continue it was the adaptation for Fate Apocrypha. Right, yes. Um, And that should be pretty obvious because in the context of fate, in the fate universe where you have all these servants who are summoned to battle each other, one of the key tenets in like the quote-unquote like strategy that everybody is aware of is that you don't reveal your name and you don't reveal your... The only way that you reveal yourself, quote-unquote, like if you have uh, heroes or spirits that were summoned from like a different century, but they like to, you know, uh, introduce themselves before dueling, because that is rather common in a lot of other cultures instead of giving your name which would be a dead giveaway of your identity and all of your weak spots you usually give your class name so you would have a saber a lancer a caster so that way it keeps your identity very shrouded and it prevents the other side from knowing who you are that is a very basic tenet that has been in all of the fate franchises for as long as i remember like nobody gives out their full name and the only time a full name is actually revealed is when a servant is forced to use their noble phantasm, which is like their wild card, their like their um uh their ace in the hole, their only weapon that will like ensure like complete utter destruction and they would win the fight, kind of thing. So that's why it's very important in the fate universe that they keep it a secret. When I was reading Fate Apocrypha, I was like, okay, I I talked in a previous podcast where it's like, you know, the light novel could do no wrong. It's basically read out like an anime. But in addition to that, there was one particular fight scene that really threw off the rails of me because of all the fate tenets that they usually adhere to in each of the series was the fight between uh, Lancer of Black, no, Lancer of Red and Saber of Black, because there are two factions, there's a red and a black faction. Um, Their names, for the sake of this uh, podcast, the Lancer is Karna from uh, Hindu mythology, and uh, Saber is Siegfried from European mythology. And when they meet in the original light novel, they don't quite introduce themselves, but they instinctively know that they are lancer and saber with the wep- with the, the way that they see the weapons that they're holding and they acknowledge that and then they begin their fight in the anime adaptation that was done by a1 pictures instead of them introducing their class name which they should have done they introduced themselves by their first name and that really threw me for a loop because i'm like this is not lore compliant how are they going to fix this like this makes no sense whatsoever and i was so pissed off by that one fight that would interact with that I completely dropped the series after. Wow, that was it. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, that was like absolutely it because I'm like 
I'm open for other studios to animate the Fate franchise. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, sometimes even I'm a little bit tired of seeing the typical affordable tricks that they use for all their lighting, their fancy camera work. At one point, I get kind of tired of all that movement and that animation that I'm like, okay, you know, I don't mind if it goes to the hands of the other studios, but they deliberately kind of f***ed up that script. And I was like, it's literally in the light novel. It's literally the core tenets of the Fate universe. Like, what did you do wrong? And so that's that simple fact just made me just drop the series as a whole. And I'm glad that I did because I know the Fate Apocrypha uh, franchise, or at least the anime series, got a lot of afterwards too. So I'm like, well, I'm glad I dropped it very early on. Did you like feel it building inside? Like already you're like, I, I feel like a... No, it caught me like completely out of the blue. That's the thing, is that... It was in the it it was paced correctly at the beginning of that fight, like before when the, all the tension when they meet up because they don't really talk, you know, they just see each other and they like basically approach each other and get ready for a fight. But the moment they just said their names, I was just completely whiplash, and I'm like, are these directors and producers out of their minds? Did the script readers not even read the lore because there's a lot of stuff in there that would not make a lot of fans happy? And so that's when I dropped the series. Okay, I thought it was like already you had like a deep feeling where it's like No, that's the thing is that most of the times when I'm watching anime that there are telltale signs in like the animation quality or kind of like the build up of the story of where it's going to go that you're kind of like, "Okay, I can sense this is going to end very badly, so I'm going to dip." But for these series that I'm mentioning for this podcast, they completely took me out of the blue because it wasn't what I expected. (laughs) And it really dashed a lot of my uh, disappointment. That's just so fascinating how this one thing was like, I'm done. Like, I'm never touching it again sort of thing. I just thought it was just very careless for them to do Mm -hmm. that in a script. And for that to go into that, for that to be greenlit into production because like, we already talked about how fate is already very confusing. Like, don't make it any more confusing <laughs> than it already is. Don't mess up the continuum. It's like, okay, you already made all these rules, which are confusing as heck, but they are set rules, and I have learned it, and now you're saying the rules aren't rules? And so... Yeah, I guess it's, like, it's so arbitrary, right? Because I'm just like, oh, God, help me. Like, I'm currently um, playing the visual novel that was also written by Nasu. It's within the same sort of connected universe as the fate universe it's called witch of the holy knight i'm playing it on my switch the visual novel and they have set rules that i recognize from other fate franchises and i'm like ah yes this is nasu's work whatever he says here is also replicable in other franchises and everybody follows it it's the golden rule right everyone follows it and make sure they don't f- up the story that way otherwise you're really thrown into a weird loop like how like DC and Marvel, they like completely split and go their own ways, and you're just like, "What's canon?" Oh, uh, we yeah, we don't talk about the mess that Marvel has become. <laughs> exactly right. Like there's so many like rules and like backstories and so much things that are retcon. But in Fate, it's like you have these arbitrary rules. They are weird. They don't make sense. But at least that's the one thing that keeps consistent in all of these series. Oh, poor Agnes. Isabel, would you drop something just from this alone? I'm so curious to hear. Because you already know that I it takes a lot for me to drop if I ever drop, which I sometimes mm-hmm. should, but I don't. So I'm curious to hear someone who has dropped, you know, like, would this make you drop? Yeah, I don't think... I, I probably wouldn't make me drop, but I would be... I would probably be angry after because it sounds like after this one change, it may affect the rest of the story or like 
the rest of the fights right now they have to I guess introduce themselves unless they do something dumb like we're not going to introduce ourselves and we're going to make you confused um so that that I would probably like let it go and continue watching but at some point I feel like it, it would mess with me because I have a tendency to memorize what I had memorized before. So if I had read the light novel, I'll be like, okay, this is this is what I remember. But now I have to remember something different for the anime, so I would feel upset, right? It's not the ad- oh, adaptation I, I want. Yeah, I hate Got it when it. It, like, okay. it's like not the same or something, or it doesn't match, and I have to memorize different things. It just makes it worse. <laughs> oh no, mm-hmm. I, I can see why, yeah, that would be a little bit confusing. Yeah, I think just mine is just like, don't don't mess it up. That's just my core tenet of it. Because the the way that I remember how the light novel ends with that interaction is that Siegfried actually dies, but not from the fight with Karna um, in the end of the fight. It's actually revealed to be something else of why he dies. And so Karna's entire like understanding of Siegfried this entire time was that he's just the, uh, the, the, the saber of the black faction but he doesn't how do i say it there's a plot twist that happens with siegfried that's what happened what's happened and then when siegfried quote-unquote comes back lancer's like very surprised so the whole like name exchange thing is kind of weirdly out of whack if they actually introduce each other by their first names rather than their actual class names it's relevant it's actually relevant to the plot so damn that's why I was, like, he really looks good though i just saw a google image <laughs> He's, he he looks very good he's actually my he was actually my four star my four star saber for like the longest time when i was playing uh, fgo so i do have a little bit of an attachment to him as well he's a he's a hunk of a man <laughs> that's what i was saying <laughs> gracie's thirsty tonight hunk of a man yeah me too i understand girl there's a lot of very nice character designs from fate apocrypha and I'm really, I really like the fact of how varied the cast is in Fate Apocrypha. But unfortunately, there are some pitfalls with the anime production. And there's also pitfalls with the later storytelling between Sieg, which is the reincarnation of Siegfried. That is the, that is the plot twist. And uh, Jeanne d'Arc, which is a mess that I don't want to explain <laughs> right now on this podcast. All right, well, let's move on from this anger to the next anger. So... <laughs> <laughs> So the next anger might come as a very su- big surprise because I typically don't like to talk about shoujo because I, well, I mean, I read a lot of shoujo when I was growing up, you know, in my teens, you're just like doki doki with like the main male lead and all these misunderstandings. But at some point, like I've become so jaded with shoujo that I don't like to refer to them anymore. Um, but I think there was one shoujo that kind of infuriated me or made me kind of angry that I dropped it right away and it's within the same realm as Fate Apocrypha where it was something that was completely out of the blue I wasn't expecting it and it kind of just ruined my overall enjoyment of the series however I do realize why they did that in the series later on but at the time I was just unjustified anger (laughs) I was very angry um and the series would be uh, the Japanese, the official Japanese ch- uh, title is so- "Sore wa demo sekai wa utsukushi," or "The world is still beautiful." Okay, I need to look it up. Uh, I need to look it up. Oh, Please hold. <laughs> oh, I like that one. You do? Okay, okay. I, I, I really like it. Okay. okay, okay, okay. Yeah, I love the manga. I love the manga we're reading, and I actually read the last couple chapters this morning to kind of like catch up on it. Um, but the reason why I didn't like the anime adaptation for The World is Still Beautiful was the fact that the main character, Nikkei, 
has the ability to sing, and when she sings, she can summon rain clouds. Um, she is the she is the daughter of a duke of a very very small provincial dukedom, and she basically offers herself to become the bride of the overarching and imperial sun king that threatens to basically destroy her kingdom. Hang on. So she decides Why to marry herself off. Why is she kissing off. a boy? Like she. Hold so on, there's a backstory. <laughs> there's the backstory for that. So it turns out that Nikkei didn't realize, but her fiance or the person that she is to be betrothed to is actually only 14 years old. He's a child king who became the sun king by having a lot of tyrannical uh, laws put into place. And so the this first like half of the world is still beautiful is actually pretty good. They're only separated by two years of age. Oh. Gracie. Why does she look so older she's 16 and he's 14 <laughs> she's 16 he's 14 so like it it's like slightly sketched at one point but then you realize the age gap you're like well also girls develop earlier that's another thing so yeah yeah exactly and it's funnier because it's the entire story of the world is still beautiful is her nike trying to kind of be a better wife or be like uh on better terms with her husband livius um all in the while trying to balance a lot of the world politics that are going on in the world. And obviously, because it's a shoujo manga, there are other princes from other countries that are more age-appropriate that are willing to court Nikkei, and Livius has to, you know, like, fend mm-hmm. them off, right? <laughs> so it's a very <laughs> typical shoujo plot. But the one thing that I didn't like about the anime was that because Nikkei has the ability to sing, um, to sing and it summons rain clouds in the very arid sun country, she you're expecting when you're watching the anime to hear, you know, nice music. Right, you're expecting to hear like you know nice songs, or you're expecting to hear maybe something a little bit more folklore-like, a little bit more mystical, or a little bit more rustic, because Nikkei does come from what it what they consider as like a backwaters like dukedom, and the people that she grew up with are kind of like natives in that area too. So it's not like refined Western singing or whatever, but you would consider something like a little bit more I don't know. Celtic or a little bit more something like closer to nature, a bit druidic, druidic like, you know? And when I was watching the anime, I was expecting that. But instead of her singing something like a little bit more mystical, she starts singing the opening theme song of the anime, which is a super like poppy, piped up pop music. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And so that like completely threw me off. I was like, what the f is going on? And I was like, I think I was watching it when I was like maybe 15 or 16. And back then I was a little bit more impulsive too. And so I tried to will myself to continue watching the series because I was like, oh, maybe it's like a one-off type of thing where like, you know, they only have it for that one insert episode. Maybe they'll put some effort and have other songs for, you know, other episodes. They it's just it. the opening every theme song every sings. single time. She's, yeah, she sings the opening theme song. And I was like, what in the world is this production quality? And then I dropped the anime. I was so pissed I dropped it. <laughs> Can you imagine if like, uh, I'm trying to think of like a music anime we would all know. Like if you're imagining somebody singing, like if you had a character in Orin High School Host Club who sings songs, 
you know, there's in like they're in this elite boarding school of wealthy young men and young women. But every time they they open their mouth, they sing "Kiss Kiss Fold" and love. You're like, well, no, you know what I was thinking? Imagine your boy Kobe, like Aiko, just sings the same song like over and over. Yeah, see, that's what that was like the the biggest thing I was so afraid of while watching your boy coming was that Aiko would sing the same the song. But thankfully, she doesn't. And there is some variety to the songs that they sing in that show. So. I I was like very relieved. I was like, okay, okay, this is not too bad to the experience that I had. But I do understand as an adult and after separating myself from that series that, you know, production values back then for anime was difficult. You know, you can't kind of like wrestle up a lot of A like A-list voice actors and have them sing at the same time. That's like idol level tier type of stuff, like ju- like um like from Utopri and stuff like that, right? And at the same time, it's also really hard to kind of contract independent artists into your anime and sing insert songs as well. So it's a mixed pile of, it's a mix, it's, there's a lot of mixed feelings in this production now that I revisited it and remembered how angry at it I was at it. But at the same time, I feel like my anger was also slightly justified that I ended up dropping <laughs> the series. <laughs> And unfortunately, it never came out with a season two. I just keep so, thinking about go. how you've like built it up in your head. Like it's gonna be this wonderful, mystical, Celtic song, a song that just differentiates itself so much and stuff like that. And then it's like pop song. <laughs> so- yeah, it's just it's just so jarring. You know, this is a shojo that is set in like some medieval time. You know, you have countries and kingdoms, foreign princes, and you have this like country bumpkin girl who comes from the middle of nowhere but sings like a mystical song about water. And she is actually prophesized to be, you know, someone who has greater magic potential to sing and summon this rain. So you have that expectation of coming into the anime too, but it wasn't there. (laughs) Yeah, I can see that. I don't know, as an anime watcher, I was like, I mean, I watched it when I was very young, too, so I think I was more enamored with, like, the shoujo romance part of it. Okay. But, like, yeah, I think it was called, like, Tender Rain. It felt like, I think it sounds like an ending song that you kind of forget, but yeah, it's repeated every time, and then here here come the clouds. I think the only thing I would, if I remember correctly, that I was a little annoyed. I'm like, okay, the rain is here. Can we, like, you know, are we done singing yet? (laughs) Can we move on yeah, with the but story? she sings the full like the the opening, and you're just like, God, help. yeah, it's like a longer version. Like we don't need that much. Like, oh, is it like song, the full right? like so... three minute version as well? Close, close. I think it might have been like two minutes or okay. like, two minutes and a half, but it was long. Yeah, because like in the manga, when you're reading the manga, she sings, right? She sings a couple of notes, so like you see that in the panel. Oh, that's of easy. Her singing, to, like, and then eventually the yeah. rain clouds come. Yeah, so I was just like. You know, even a small, like, jaunty tune was fine, too, but not the opening theme <laughs> song. That totally broke my immersion straight out the gate. It's definitely a calming song. I can see it bringing in some rain, but yeah. It's not fit for the times, though. <laughs> That's <True>. my argument. <laughs> this is just so funny. I didn't watch it, obviously, so uh, I was in high school hell, so I couldn't have watched it at the time, but I think this whole story is very funny <laughs> and amusing. I'll I'll, sh- I'll show you a clip of it eventually, Gracie, because it's a it's a very interesting watch. <laughs> 
Alrighty then. So I think this sums up our episode for this week in regards to scenes that infuriates. Thank you everyone for listening. I hope you enjoyed us rant about the stuff that made us so angry when we watched these anime. And I'm sure that you guys also have anime scenes or moments or characters that have just like really gotten you angry. So please feel free to share that with us at uh, girltaku underscore AT for Twitter. We don't have anything else, unfortunately. So that's the only way you can communicate with us. But we would love to hear your thoughts and opinions for that matter as well. And yeah, I hope you'll still be here next time when we are back with another fun topic. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.